Hello, Mark Ja. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. Mark stands for Meet with God, Reach Out to Others, Know His Purpose for Your Life, and to Develop Your Potential. I want to encourage you before we even get started to ask God to soften your heart, open your mind to receive what He has for you. You're loved by a great God. Right. Hey, good evening. Hey, it's fun to be here tonight and share with you. Uh, have this opportunity to kind of open up the Bible and uh, challenge you in some areas and one particular area that we'll be talking about because evidently that's your series that you've been talking over the past few weeks has led up to tonight uh, ministry of and the power of and the presence of the Holy Spirit and so that's what we're talking about here tonight by the way of introduction just a little bit let me uh, some of you have never met me I've never met you I think I looked around I know five names here okay and so uh, I'm learning, okay? I've only been at the church here for just a little bit over a year. Uh, I've been a lead pastor almost all my life. For the first 10 years of my ministry, I was a youth pastor. And uh, I, do, I, wanna know, I, wanna, I wanna tell you that I loved being a youth pastor, okay? I enjoyed it. I was at a church in the city of Spokane, Washington. And let me tell you, uh, Spokane, Washington is one of those ideal places to be a youth pastor. And the reason behind that is that Spokane has a very, very clear four seasons, and so when we planned anything for the youth department, we could do it because we didn't have to cancel because of weather or cancel because of anything. We could do it because of the weather. Weather was so good. Uh, one thing we did was every, every winter, every other Sunday, I got to tell you the, back, the little backdrop behind this, uh, there was a J.C. Penney's ski school that went out of business, okay? They, and they had all of the skis, boots, and poles, and they gave them to us. And so, and of course in Spokane, we have Mount Spokane, we had 49 degrees north, Schweitzer Basin, a number of places to ski around Spokane, and everyone in Spokane, by, you know, 1st of November, 1st of December, you start getting snow, and it stays there until February into March in Spokane, and so skiing was a big thing there, okay? And so we got to ski school, so every other Saturday, I took a group up to the mountains skiing, and I tell you, that was a rough gig as a youth pastor, okay? That was really rough. <coughs> <laughs> and so we went up, to, so you're having the snow day this coming Saturday, and uh, the guys who stayed in the lodge and played games, we call those lodge skiers, okay, <clears throat> because they were chicken to get out on the real slopes and do anything, but anyhow, uh, we had a great time. Uh, at the end of the year, we always offered up there, uh, when I was there, we always offered at the end of the year what we called our ski trip, end of the year ski trip, and we went to a place called Banff, Canada. Banff was about five, five hours north of Spokane into Canada, and it, it was the home of absolutely the most incredible snow and skiing you could ever imagine. And so we would drive up there on Monday, we would ski all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, it was always during spring break, and then we'd drive home on Friday. They had hot, uh, hot what do you call them, sulfur springs and uh, jacuzzis, uh, big outdoor hot springs at night where we would go, and I remember sitting there in this, in this hot tub after skiing all day, sitting back and it was 104 degrees and it was snowing. I mean, the water was 104 degrees. Okay, not the air outside, but the water was 104 degrees and it was snowing. It was one of the most difficult things I ever did as a youth pastor. Okay, it was just, a, but an absolute blast. The very last year before I resigned and moved to another uh, location in, in Washington, uh, the last year we had 63 students that we took up for those four days. Now, some of you are youth leaders, if you imagine what that's, I mean, you know what that's like by taking 140 to GU conference. Well, I took 60 up skiing, okay? We only had one emergency room experience. But anyhow, 
Yeah, that's, that wasn't too bad. But anyhow, i just tell you a little background. I enjoyed, I loved being a youth pastor. Uh, my wife and I, that's my wife back there in the back talking when she shouldn't be. But, uh, but uh, 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 we, were, we enjoyed, we loved being youth pastors, okay? Uh, secondly, the, another thing, just to kind of fill you in on, on me a little bit, and that one of the most productive things I ever did as a lead pastor is I began a ministry in the church where I was the lead pastor called Generation Training Center. Generation Training Center was a ninth, nine-month internship discipleship program where a student 19 to 25 could enroll for the nine months. We would do our best to find the housing for them, and they literally came to class Monday through Thursday uh, from 9 o'clock to 4 o'clock. They were at the church, okay? And it was a period of training, of teaching. Uh, we taught them everything, how to change tires, on their cars, how to change oil in their cars, trying to make them productive, effective young people, okay? Some of them had no idea. We gave them CPR, learned them how to, taught them how to do CPR. Uh, it was just a very all-encompassing. Also, at the end of that year, at the end of that, those nine months, uh, they, they graduated from Northwest University with 12 credits that would apply toward full degrees. And so I orchestrated, I administrated that, I led that. And we did that for nine years. We graduated 94 students out of that particular program. Uh, of that particular program, of course, it was all young adults, just like you. Okay, and that was one of the most, for both my wife and I, was one of the most productive times and most, most successful and most enjoyable times of our ministry was our ability to pour into these kids. Those 94 graduates right now are literally around the world. Uh, there's one in the Ukraine as a missionary with Youth with a Mission. There's one that uh, went through uh, uh, school and is now a doctor. He happens to be my doctor. Okay, so it's kind of weird to, to go into, go into this, his office and call him Dr. Matt, and uh, he is my doctor that he was in our program for a year. Um, he's a medical doctor now and just a fabulous, fabulous young man. Uh, many of them are in full-time ministry. Most of them, are majority of them, probably 80% of them are still serving Jesus, which I think is a pretty high percentage when you think about it. And so again, that was a, that was a very, very uh, wonderful time. Well, my calling today, right now, where I'm at today, is to the seniors, not seniors in high school or seniors in college, okay, to seniors as in 60 and over, okay, and so that's where God's called me right now, but really my heart, and I, if I can, you know, and Hans and Pastor Letitia, you guys just kind of be quiet about this, just pretend you didn't hear this, okay, my love is really for the young adults, I really, I, and the reason why I, I, the really, the reason is because I think if anyone is going to make a, an impact on America for God, it's you, okay? It's your age that is able to get out there and be culturally relevant because if you don't get turned on for God, the next generation will absolutely have nothing to do with God, okay? So it's crucial that this age, this young adult, 19 to 25 right now, come to know Christ in the fullness of his power, the fullness of his grace, to come to know the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and get turned on for God and talk to other people about Jesus, because if you don't, I think the Bible, or the, there's a famous phrase out there, we are only one generation away from the extinction of Christianity, okay? And so a large responsibility for that is upon our young, young adults right now. I love our seniors. I love talking to them. We love singing the old Amazing Graces and How Great Thou Art. And we love singing all those songs, and it's really wonderful. And they get all teary-eyed, go, oh! And that is so wonderful. I enjoy it. I enjoy teaching them. I enjoy walking with, through life with them. But really, if you want to change the world, it's you guys. Okay? The seniors today, they pray for you. Okay? And we need that desperately. But the enthusiasm, the excitement about God has to come from you guys. 
Really, it does, okay? You're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. But if no church of today, there's going to be no church in tomorrow, okay? And so that's where my burden is. That's where my heart is, okay? And that's really my challenge to you. The most critical years of your life spiritually is right now, okay? Yes, the formative years, many of you went through Sunday school and you learned about Noah and you learned about Moses and you learned about Daniel in the lion's den and you did all your learning through the Sunday school years and those were great. But really the most important years and the critical years of your life spiritually is right now because you're, you're, you are at the point where you're beginning to ask questions about, wait a minute, can my mom and dad's faith be mine? I want to make it my own faith. I want to walk my own pathway now. I'm not going to follow what mom and dad said. I want to follow what I want to say. Okay? And there's this, not in a bad way, but there's a spirit of independence upon your age right now, right? I want to do it my way. And that's totally cool. And so that, that makes it very, very critical for the particular age that you're in. But also it's very culturally influential because you have an ability to, to influence your culture. Okay? That absolutely, I mean, who, a guy walking in in a sweater vest, I can't influence nobody. <laughs> okay? Dude, are you kidding me? The only thing I have halfway on that's halfway in style are shoes with white soles. Now that's about it. Okay? And so my influence is very negligible. Yours is incredible. And I'm not trying to blow smoke here. I'm not trying to build you up. I'm trying to be real. Okay? And the topic I want to share with you tonight that I feel led to share with you this evening in the, in, in, in the area of the Holy Spirit has to do with that right there. It's very, very critical. How many of you guys went to the one conference last, last weekend? Let me see. Okay. You experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay. You experienced it. Uh, how many of you, let me just ask this question. How many of you in those fast songs, you danced? Come on, let me see. It's kind of fun to be in the dancing in the presence of the Lord and, and enjoy. It's incredible. I love it. I, I love that, okay? Uh, again, working with the seniors, we don't dance much. Okay, we rock, you know. Okay, that's about all we do. But it's fun. They love it, okay? But anyway, I'm, not, I'm not putting them down. They are wonderful. I have the best job in the church right now. I do. Pastor Hans and Pastor Letitia have the most difficult job. I have the easiest one. Because I just get up and say, God loves you. And they go, oh, I know. It's so wonderful. You know, it's so cool. But anyhow, I've got to get off that. Okay, they're wonderful. I want, to, I want to talk to you tonight because I think many young adults are seeking purpose and identity. You're really seeking. You're really looking for purpose and identity. You're trying to find, how does this all fit together? How does my faith fit together with tomorrow morning? How does it all work, okay? Uh, you're asking questions about how this faith works and what is my part? How do I fit? How do I fit into this church? Is the church really for today? This church, da, 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 da. You're asking all those type of questions and they're all very good questions. But I think the answer to those questions are found in one very, very simple answer. And I'm not trying to be simplistic with my answer, but I'm trying to be very honest with you. And I, by the way, I'll always do my best to be honest with you. I'll always be as transparent uh, with you as I possibly can, okay? But the answer is found in one one thing, and I, I want to be very upfront, and that is in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? When it comes to what is the answer for some of the questions that you may be asking as a young adult, okay, uh, what is the answer? The answer is found in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The more I dig into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the more the Holy Spirit will reveal those answers to me. How does this all fit? How does this all work? 
What's my part in the body of Christ? How does that all come together? It comes in by being in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Generation, uh, Generation Unleashed, the one conference, uh, when I was a lead pastor up in Washington, we were only an hour north of Portland, and we would send our youth every year. We'd send 80 to 100 kids every year down to the conference because I knew if they got there, they'd be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and their lives would be altered. Okay? My philosophy in the church was, uh, as a leader, and it still is today, that if I, want to, if I want my kids to live for God, I keep them in the presence of God as much as I possibly can. Okay? As much as I possibly can, I'll keep those kids, I'll make opportunities for them to get in the power and the presence of God. John chapter 16, verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, and Jesus is talking here, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Key, key thought there. Jesus was with the disciples to show them, to teach them, and to guide them. Jesus was with the, with, with the disciples. Can you picture that with me? Here's Jesus walking along the pathway, walking along the roadway. He's with those 12 disciples to teach them, to guide them, to lead them, to show them. Then after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that Jesus left with us, the Holy Spirit is with us to do exactly the same thing, to teach, to lead, to guide us. Okay? So we must rely upon the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to do that exact. When we said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and is now inside, living inside every one of us. I gave my life to Jesus when I was a young kid. I was seven years old. Okay? I, remember, I remember sitting back in, I remember this group singing, and I remember the, the, the sermon that night was on having victory in Jesus. And we sang that old, old song, Oh, victory in Jesus. And I was this competitive little brat kid. Okay, and I heard that victory in Jesus. Yeah, dude, if I'm going to be, I, I, would, I guess I wouldn't say it that way as a seven-year-old. <laughs> wow, dude, you know, uh, if I was a seven-year-old, I would say something like, wow, if I'm going to be a victory and I was a competitive little kid, then I'll give my life to Jesus. And that's the reason I went forward and gave my life to Christ. Okay, so I gave my life to Christ so I could be victorious. And then, but uh, when I gave my life to Christ, even as a little seven-year-old, guess what? The Holy Spirit came and lived inside me. Okay? The Holy Spirit came inside me. Um, and what did that Holy Spirit come to do inside of me? To lead, to guide, to teach me, to help me. Okay? To help me do what? To live the Christian life. Jesus helped the disciples live the Christian life. Amen? Right? Okay. What's the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us do? Live the Christian life. We have to see that parallel. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, great verse. It says, when you believed. Come on, somebody say, when we believed. When you believed, you were what? Marked. I think that's the name of this group, isn't it? Okay. You were what? You were marked. Follow me. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, notice, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Notice the key phrases there. When you believed. So when you said yes to Jesus, you were marked, period, right then. You were marked as a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus. You were marked as a believer, a follower of Christ. You were marked with a seal. We don't have time to go into the importance of the word seal, but you were marked. Something changed in you. See? A deposit that was guaranteeing your inheritance. Aha. A guaranteeing to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's called heaven. Guaranteeing. Yeah, I've made a right decision. Heaven is mine. All right? 
Two very important things that the Holy Spirit will do for us when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. Number one, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit will help us live for God. Okay? The Holy Spirit is inside of us to help us live for God. He resides in us. He is that conscious inside of us that gives us the ability to discern what's right and wrong. Okay? You go someplace and you think, wait a minute, I shouldn't be there. And what may, Who is that? How has that happened that says to you you shouldn't be there? It's the Holy Spirit. Why is, why is that happening to you? Because the Holy Spirit is like Jesus was, Jesus to the disciples. The Holy Spirit is to us today. He's helping us. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't do that. Okay? There's something. I can tell you a story. When I was, um, oh, I don't know, I think I was like 11, 12, 13. It was back in the day when you could ride your bicycles downtown and it was safe kind of stuff, okay? Because I was 12 years old, and my mom told me to go to the store and buy something. I can't remember what it was. And so I got on my little Columbia red bicycle with the chrome fenders with a little basket and a bell. And uh, I jumped on, the, on my bicycle, and I lived in a little city called Cedro Woolley, Washington. It was a population of about 4,000 people, okay? And so I rode downtown, and I rode my bicycle downtown, and I went to the store, and I got what mom wanted me to. And, and I happened to remember, I, I remember that, oh, wow, look at that. Nobody was looking. I go, sweet. And I grabbed the Butterfinger, put it in my pocket, got back on my bicycle, and I rode home. I go, yeah, baby. <laughs> sweet. I'm not going to jail. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I, I remember, and, and listen, the whole time I kept it in my pocket, I couldn't bring it out and eat it. I felt so bad that I ripped off Goss's Variety Store. I rode my bicycle back downtown and I gave it back to Mr. Goss, 12 years old. And I said, here, I'm so sorry. And you know what he did? He said, hey, Billy, don't, because he knew me, because everybody in the city knew each other. It's a small city, right? And so he knew me and he said, hey, don't worry. I knew you would bring it back. Okay, my point is here, what told me that that was wrong to get that? It was the Holy Spirit that came into me when I was seven years old. It was that conscious. What was that trying to do? It was trying to help me live for God. Even as a little kid, it was helping me learn how to live for God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's that impression inside of us that helps us do right. He's the voice that reminds us of who we are in Christ. And I, there's so much here I could go into. He, it's the Holy Spirit we'll talk about in a moment who helps us pray. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and knowledge. It's the Holy Spirit is this incredible, this, this encyclopedia that's inside of us to help us if we just tap into who he is. Okay, so number one, he will help us live for God. And then secondly, he will help us be a better witness. Okay, now this is really where I want to go later on tonight, but we'll get there, so follow me. Acts chapter one, verse eight, and we'll hit this one again at the end of the uh, time here tonight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay. Literally, you will receive power. Let me talk about that word power. You've probably heard this before, but that's the Greek word dunamis. The word dunamis is where we get our English word dynamite. Okay? So you shall receive what? Dynamite. Woohoo! After the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Follow this little thought with me. It, it's, almost like, it's almost like you will receive turbo power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay? It's like you... Kick it into high gear. It's like a whole different time of life and period of life. When experience in, in, in God, when you begin to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's like you put your, put your spirituality in turbo. 
Okay, that's what this says. But notice what the purpose, the power that the Holy Spirit, that turbo that the Holy Spirit gives us, listen to this, is to enable us to be more bold with our faith and sharing our faith. Did you see that? No, notice what it is. Please notice the scripture. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when the Holy Spirit upon your salvation, and also on the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues that we'll talk about. Be witnesses. Notice be witnesses. Not to make you feel good. Not to have you warm fuzzies. Not to be able to jump in the power of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. It's come upon you so you will be what? Witnesses. Please, let that get down into your spirit tonight. If nothing else, let that get. Holy Spirit is in me to help me be a better witness. Okay? That's our purpose. And so that's where we're heading tonight. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Let's talk about the evidence of the Holy Spirit for a moment. Are you ready? Okay, we're actually getting a crash course in the Holy Spirit here tonight. Okay? Pastor Warren is going to speak in a few months on Wednesday nights, and he's going to take four one-hour periods of time on Wednesday night to talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to crash it into 30 minutes here. Okay? All right? It's all... for the most part, okay? Let's talk about the evidence. First of all, I think there are two primary evidences of the Holy Spirit that's down deep inside of us, okay? The first one is just simply called, in Galatians chapter five, it's simply called the fruit of the Spirit. When, when, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives us the ability to, what, to, to be able to follow God better, okay? How does he give us the ability to follow God better? By having the fruit of the Spirit in us, okay? We are all have the ability before Christ comes into our life to love people, to have joy, to have peace. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he moves that into turbo gear. We're better because we all, all of a sudden, when you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, and you can love more. You can have more joy. You can have more peace. You can have more goodness. You can have more kindness. You can have more self-control. Most of us can. Anyhow, uh, some people can. Okay? It's to help me what? Live a better life for God. How does that happen? Because the Holy Spirit's in me. Holy Spirit does what? He brings the, the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians chapter 5. Okay, helps me be a better, helps me follow God, helps me be a better Christian. So we see that, okay? So one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit that's in our life, and yes, it's a matter of, yeah, we're changed because of the power of God, and he's, given, he's forgiven us of our sins. But the, the evidence of that is that he's forgiving me of my sins is because the Holy Spirit brings his power to what? To be a better loving person. To be more kind. To be good. To be temperate. Give, it's, it's there. I call it the Holy Spirit toolbox. It's just, it, it's there. Whatever we need, it's there for us, okay? Helps me be a better employee. Helps me better be a better son, a better daughter, a better brother, a better sister. It helps me be a better mom, Megan, okay? Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit inside of me helps me be a better person. Hello? Okay, so right away, the evidence of the Holy Spirit inside of us gives us this Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, uh, being filled with the Spirit, you're more loving, you're more joyful, you're more peaceful, you're more kind, you're more good, you're more victorious, you're more of an overcomer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the Holy Spirit inside of you, okay? All right. And the second evidence of the Holy Spirit being in us, of course, is the one we've talked about. I'm gonna give you a fancy, fancy word. Some of you have heard this, some of you may have not. It's called the initial physical evidence. Ooh, say that with me. Initial physical evidence. Oh, that almost gets holy when you hear that, isn't it? It's called speaking in tongues. Initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit is called the, or speaking in tongues is called the initial physical evidence because it was the first evidence of the Holy Spirit after the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. 
The first thing you hear about, and we'll read the scripture in just a moment, in Acts chapter 2, you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. The, fir- the, or they, the first thing that they did, that the Holy Spirit had come with the rushing mighty wind and the tongues of fire, remember, we'll read that in a moment, but as soon as you, that happened, the first thing that happened, the initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit being there was people spoke in tongues, all right? And I believe in evidence of the Holy Spirit down deep inside of us every, is not only the love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, meekness, it's also the ability to speak in another language. Now, I know to some of you that could be new, that, language, that particular thought could be new. If it is, we'll talk about it maybe later tonight somehow. But it was speaking in tongues. So quickly, speaking in tongues. Let's touch on four things here. Okay, four things. Number one, speaking in tongues is available for every follower of Christ. Doesn't matter if you're Nazarene, if you're Episcopalian, if you're Lutheran, if you're Church of God, Church of Christ, whatever. If you're a follower of Christ, baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is for you. Everybody said? Okay, good. All right, there it is. It's available. Is it necessary? Is it required? No, point two. Speaking in tongues is not necessary for salvation or entrance to heaven. What's required for salvation? Salvation in Jesus Christ is that I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's all is needed right there. I don't need anything else. I don't need to be a good person. I don't need to be uh, dress, appropriate, uh, dress accordingly. I don't have to do any of those things to get to heaven. The only thing I need to get to heaven is to say yes to Jesus, period. End of discussion, end of debate. I don't see anything else in the Scripture. Okay. However, Notice, that is not necessary for salvation or for entrance to heaven, but it's available to everyone. Number three, the person who speaks in tongues does not lose control of themselves. There's so much more I could say here, guys, but I just want to say this. You know, if, if, you are, uh, if, if God has gifted you right now and you have the gift of speaking in tongues, you have the ability to control that tongue. Just like if you speak in Spanish, you have the ability to speak in Spanish or not, or French or whatever it is. You can turn it on, you can turn it off. Okay, the Holy Spirit, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not walking through a mall, and all of a sudden it hits you, and you go, oh, Yamaha Kawasaki Suzuki, and you embarrass everyone. Okay, everyone gets embarrassed all over. Why? Okay, it doesn't happen that way, or it doesn't happen as you're driving your car, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you start your tongue, your language, and you have to pull over the side of the road. Now, the Holy Spirit may come upon you in presence, but it doesn't embarrass you. Why? Because that's not the Holy Spirit. Okay. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, or we have said oftentimes, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will never embarrass you. And so, therefore, thirdly, the person who speaks in tongues does not lose control of themselves. Okay? Something you can turn on, something you can turn off. Something you can begin, something you can stop. Very controllable. Okay? You can speak as long as you want or as short as you want. All right? It's very, so, anyhow. How many here tonight, let me just see real quick. How many of you uh, do speak in tongues? or have before at one time or another. Okay, yeah, many of you. Okay, perfect. Okay, so, and then the fourth one, the primary purpose, and here again, here's my point that I'm trying to get down to to tonight, uh, is the primary purpose of speaking in tongues is missional. Okay, missional meaning empowerment to be a witness. The primary purpose of speaking in tongues is so that I will be a more bold witness. Okay, plain and simple, bottom line, okay? So, let's go back. How many of you guys love history? How many of you hate history? It depends on the topic, yeah, good, yeah, okay. I'm going to give you a brief 
history lesson of the church. Okay, just really brief, and I'll hit the high points here with you here tonight. Okay, in 1906, there was a one-eyed black man who began to have Bible studies. His name was William Seymour, in a little house in Los Angeles. That Bible study outgrew the little house so that they had to abandon that house and go to an abandoned church or like almost like a grange. It was called the Azusa Street Mission. This place was very dilapidated. It was a place that as you walked on the floor, they had holes in the floor that you could see the basement. Okay, It wasn't the safest place to be, but that was the only thing that opened up for these huge crowds that began to come as a result of what God began to do at that little house. The little house was on a street called Bonnie Bray, in case you're into the history issue. Okay? But the, street was, or the church was called the Azusa Street Mission. It was in this building in 1906 that the Holy Spirit began to move in ways that are almost unprecedented since Acts chapter 2, verse 4. God began to do miraculous healings and limbs began to reappear on people's bodies. Lives were changed, alcoholics. I mean, people would walk by outside on the street and just while the worship was going on inside the Azusa Street Mission, many stories told about people would be walking outside the street and they would fall out on the street in the power of the Holy Spirit just because the presence was so powerful in that little room. Okay, um, lights were shining, lights would come in, and because the roof was a mess, the sun would shine through, and the, wherever there was a, a bright light that would shine into that Azusa Street mission, it was like the power and the presence of God was there. People could not, they'd walk into that presence, and they'd fall out under the power. Okay, there was that kind of meetings in 1906. Shattered uh, the then-known America because of what was happening at that point. Okay, it was the power, demonstrations of the supernatural Thousands, literally thousands of people over the matter of several years were filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It was an absolute incredible time in the history of the church. The word spread, and of course the revival grew and grew. There was one man um, that, again, out of that Azusa Street revival, several denominations were birthed. Okay, But let's fine-tune it here just a minute. Okay, um, a man went from Topeka, Kansas, went to Los Angeles to the Azusa Street Mission. When he went there to experience what was going on, God so met him in such an incredibly powerful way that he went back to Topeka, Kansas, and he began to share what God was doing and the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit and what God was doing with the tongues and, and, all, and all of that. And he was, he was met with incredible opposition and got kicked out of his church. So he found some other people who began to believe the same way in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they basically started their own church. They started their own meeting and regular gathering, and God began to do great things. And they said, wait a minute, in the process of all this, of God doing all these great things here, again, this was about 1914 by now, uh, in process of all this, we need to get organized. We need to better uh, legislate some things going on, and maybe we need to form something. So they gathered together in a little city called Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914, and it was out of that meeting, out of that Azusa, out of that Azusa Street Revival in 1906 that the Assemblies of God was birthed. Okay? It was out of that revival, out of that renewal, it was out of that power and presence and outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the Assemblies of God, who we are as a church right here, was birthed. Okay? There was also other denominations that were birthed out of that time also. But we see the power of the Holy Spirit that started it. Over 300 men and women gathered there in 1914 to decide what to do. And we began uh, the Assemblies of God. Now, let's go back a little further and let's look again now at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Okay? 
So we go back a little bit history and further, and now let's look at that verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. These were disciples and those who became followers of Christ after the resurrection. Uh, this was probably around 34, 35 A.D., somewhere uh, around that period of time. Suddenly a sound. Somebody say sound. Sound. Okay, they were all together. They were praying. Okay, you may have heard this before, but let's all come together and let's think this together. Okay. So they were all praying together with the sound, of the, all of a sudden, the sound of a violent wind comes in from heaven. They were filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. There are approximately 120 in this quote unquote upper room, kind of maybe like this. Who knows? Okay. So if we were all gathered together here praying, we're all seeking God, we're all singing the songs, Anna's leading us, and we're all entering, just loving the presence of God in worship, and all of a sudden this, this sound comes in of a rushing mighty wind. Then on everybody's head, there appears this, this tongues of fire on everyone. I don't know about you, but that'd be kind of freaky, wouldn't it? Come on, let's be honest. That'd be like, whoa, Harold, look! You know, your head's on fire. Never mind. Uh, I mean, but think about it, okay? Let's put it practice. It's, it's, this really did happen. This is not theory. It really did happen, okay? And so we see that. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. Somebody say all. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began. Here's the filling of the Holy Spirit and tongues together. Okay, there's a lot of argument about this, but we won't have time to go there. Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The disciples were told to wait for something. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know it all. So they were all together praying. Now follow the things. What happened? A wind blew. Somebody say wind. Wind, wind blew. Okay, fire appeared. Fire Okay, fire appeared on every head, and they began to speak in another language. Not dreams, not hallucinations, but real. It was testified, or it was witnessed by other people as they were standing around. This was the Pentecost. So there, all these people were in the city of Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. That's why they call it Pentecost. Of course, it was that celebration of that feast. Okay, so all these people were gathered around, and they heard these people in these rooms. So it must have been incredibly loud, because they could have been walking on the street. If they were in this upper room, if they were, they were up there, they were down the, the people were walking on the street. These people on the street were literally saying things like, what in the world is going on up there? I hear people up there in speaking and proclaiming the glories of God in my language. Okay? If you read the scriptures further from Acts chapter 2, there were over 13 different nationalities that were there, either in that room or walking by, that heard these people glorifying and honoring God in their native tongue. I don't know about you guys, but that's an incredible, powerful testimony. A witness that that really had to happen. Okay? It was one thing, it was like one language. But it was 13 different languages that they were hearing. I don't know about you guys, but that makes it pretty verifiable, don't you? Okay? Wow, maybe that really did happen. It's just like the resurrection of Jesus. Over 500 people saw him after the resurrection. I don't know about you, but that's pretty, that's pretty significant. 500 people saw Jesus after the resurrection? Well, that's another sermon. But anyhow, okay? So throughout the rest of the book of Acts, here's my key thought, and I'll close here tonight. Whenever there was an experience of the Holy Spirit, it was evidenced from that point. There was never again the rushing mighty wind there was never again the cloven tongues of fire on people's heads, but there was always, somebody say always, always speaking. 
Okay, so the power of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is not for all these demonstrations, but for us to empower us to speak, to proclaim, to declare the goodness and the power and the mercy and the love of God. Throughout the book of Acts, and again, here's the thought, there is no more just speaking. Listen carefully here. Acts chapter 2 began a movement that we call Pentecost because it happened on the day of Pentecost. That experience for all these, those years lay dormant until 1906. In 1906, it took a turbo step. Off it went. It took off. It exploded. No wind, no fire, just words. Just words. They begin to speak and proclaim. In other language, 1906 has now grown today. They say that close to 10% of all the followers of Christ today are spirit-filled. They speak in tongues. That all started in night, really. Acts 2-4, that was kicked into turbo gear in... in um, Acts, in 1906 by William Seymour, okay, in the power of the Holy Spirit, until what we have today is incredible what God has done, the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Very, very real. Here it is, now as we bring it all together tonight, okay? Acts chapter one, verse eight. I'm gonna go back to it, okay? You shall receive what? Power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What was the source of Peter's ability to preach on that day of Pentecost where 3,000 people were saved? What was the source? It was the Holy Spirit. Because just days before, Peter was denying Christ. But the power of the Holy Spirit came on Peter, and he preached, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. What gave him that power? It was the Holy Spirit that enabled him to speak. No rushing mighty wind, no cloven tongues of fire, just the spoken word, because the Holy Spirit that was down deep inside of Peter, okay? Tremendous power that we see in Peter, okay? Uh, what was the source of Peter's ability to stand before the ruling body of the day, the Sanhedrin? Sanhedrin, which was literally the, the, the supreme justice, the supreme court of the day. What gave him the, the power to stand up and tell them, hey, by the way, guys, you can't shut us up. We can't help but talk about the love of Jesus. We can't help but talk about, the, about God. We can't help but talk about the Bible. We can't help but do it. What gave him the power to do something like that? To stand up before the Sanhedrin and make those kind of claims? The power of the Holy Spirit. Again, no rushing mighty wind, no cloven tongues of fire, but the ability and the power to speak. Wow. That was down deep inside of him, okay? Uh, what was the source of Paul's ability to stand up before the Pharisees? The Pharisees would be the powerful body of the day, the, the, the priests and the Levites, the, the priests and the, the spiritual leaders of the day were the Pharisees, and they were the examples. And so Paul stands up with them on numerous occasions, comes against them. What gave him the power to do that? The Holy Spirit. No wind, no fire, but speaking and words. The power of the Holy Spirit. Words spoken with power and authority. Okay, so the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you to have the warm fuzzies and the Pentecostal pimples all over your body, which is wonderful, and I love those. They're like, yes, that's so good. It's wonderful. I love it. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon you to speak in tongues or just to live the, is to help you live the Christian life and be a better witness. So that you're for Olive Garden, if you're sitting in a restaurant, you're going through in and out or, you know, if you dare stand go through that line, but... If you, wherever you are, so that God gives you the boldness to share your faith with somebody. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
Okay, and that's where I'm getting at tonight. That's, that's the burden on my heart this evening. The Holy Spirit in, is in our lives not to make us feel good, not only to guide, lead, and teach us, but so that the world will hear. I was in Nepal several weeks ago, and the, just the country of Nepal is 31 million people. The capital city of Kathmandu is 5 million people. There are less than 5% Christians in that nation. I don't know about you guys, but somebody needs to tell them about Jesus. Are you with me? I don't know what the population totally of, I think Salem is what, 35,000 people? I don't know what the, I haven't learned all the, the, the uh, percentages yet, but I think there's a few people out there that still need to know Jesus. How will they know? They will know because the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us, the presence of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit enables us to be a better witness to them. Okay? Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, my wife and I both have project people out there, we call them. Okay. Do you have project people? You should. Okay. Uh, spoken words to spread the news about Jesus. Okay. So the love of God will be demonstrated through us. And friends, it can happen. A friend of mine, uh, he's the youth pastor in a church of 1,700. A little bit, not quite as big as numbers as ours. That's not important, but I just want to tell you this. And uh, his emphasis in his youth group is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not dissing on anything, Letitia, you guys are doing at all here. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what has happened with that youth group is that they've got turned on to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they have a youth group of just, of just high school and, and young adults of 500. Okay? They just got turned on to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't anything my friend was doing as a youth pastor. He's just a He's just a sweet guy. I love the guy. He's great. And he's a good preacher and all that kind of stuff. But the kids just got excited about the Holy Spirit. They just got excited about telling their friends. One of the greatest revivals that we ever had in our, in our youth group when I was a youth pastor um, was just kind of a crazy experience. But our, our high school students just got whacked out for God and just got loving Jesus so much. They started taking those old-fashioned things called tracks. Okay? The little things that tell people how to say yes to Jesus. And they would, I would buy them by the cases and they would take them to the high school and put them in all the lockers every day. They just got so excited about God. Okay, Really, what, that's what it's going to take, something like that for every one of us. The world needs to know. This is not to lay any type of guilt trip on anybody here, but to, just to challenge us. Okay, who, who are your project people? Okay, What is the purpose of singing a song like, oh, come and fill us fresh and new? Yeah, I want to be filled fresh and new. But I want to be filled fresh and new because, so that I can walk with God more and better and more effectively, more victoriously, more, and be a better conqueror, but also so I can be a better witness. You see, those work together, guys. That's called Acts chapter 2, verse 4. That's the church of today. Well, I've got to quit. Okay, so tonight, my primary challenge is, is, has to do just simply with um, using the Holy Spirit inside of you to be a better witness. Okay, guys? Thanks for tuning into this podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our services at People's Church here in Salem, Oregon. We meet on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for small groups and 11.30 a.m. for our main service. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram 
at mrkdya or our church website at peopleschurch.com slash marked. Thanks for listening, and you're loved by a great God.